Welcome to episode 301 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was published on Saturday, 25th of June, 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. Last week's episode was a travelogue about my Turismo bike holiday in Sardinia, including some chowing down of the world's most dangerous cheese. I'm Carlton Reed, and I travelled to Sardinia by train. One of the benefits of overland travel is the ability to stop off en route, and I spent a bit more time in Milan than I was originally planning because of today's guest. Jeanette Sadiq Khan has been helping Mayor Salah of Milan with that city's ambitious reimagination of the public realm. As a principal at Bloomberg Associates, Jeanette advises city mayors from around the world on their streetscapes. When she was New York City Transportation Commissioner between 2007 and 2013, she famously transformed Times Square into a plaza for people not cars. The same tactical urbanism, or try it, we think you'll like it, was used in Milan. Guided by a Google Maps route through some of the city's newly built, people-friendly plazas, I was able to see at first hand how, as Jeanette puts it, the miracle of Milan is taking shape. Milan also has an ambitious bikeway programme, and I rode on some of the newly minted protected routes as I crisscrossed the city. I'll include lots of photographs on a Forbes.com story soon, but meanwhile, here's my 20-minute conversation with Jeanette. Tell me about Milan's Piazza Aperta, am I pronouncing that right? Open squares. What, what's what's it all about? Well, I mean, we started working with Mayor Sala and his team in, in 2018. And um, we were coming up with a plan to bring life to streets in every neighborhood in the city. You know, he had had this 2030 plan for a city, you know, that works better, that's more affordable and resilient and, you know, cooler and cleaner in 10 years, you know, and you obviously can't get there by, you know, tearing down buildings or building new roads. You have to make better use of the streets that you already have. And, you know, we know a lot about this having gone through a large scale sustainability plan with Mayor Bloomberg in New York City, creating, Mm. you know, 400 miles of bike lanes and 70 plazas in six and a half years. So, Um, and it was something that I don't think that a lot of New Yorkers thought was possible. And so we did, uh, meetings and workshops with uh, Mayor Sala's mobility and environmental teams. And and then in 2018, we launched this Piazza Aperte program. And so, uh, and we inaugurated new piazzas in, in Durgano and Angelberto. Did you, did you get to those two? I did. I went to Spoleto 
Yeah. I went to Dagano. Dagano was the first one about three, exactly. four years ago. Yeah. Exactly. And then I went to the ping pong one. I mean, they've all got ping pong tables, but this one is <laughs> now known as ping pong. Is it Piazziali Bocconi? Yeah, I mean, I who knew uh, the popularity of ping pong uh, in in Italy? I certainly didn't. So I'm, ass but, I'm assuming that Olympic team in about ten years' time is going to all kind of come from Milan. <laughs> We're going to be looking for that in 2024, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we started with those two neighborhoods, and and those streets had had just become parking lots, and so it didn't take years or millions of euros. We just we moved really fast with paintbrushes and benches and. Um, we transformed those spaces into, you know, places for people. And, you know, the result was really just spellbinding. I mean, from the moment we put down the first benches, people were sitting in them even before mm. we finished bolting them to the ground. And so, you know, we actually have pictures of people sitting there while we were mm. doing it. You know, <laughs> and it was, I don't know if you remember, it was, it was just like Madison Square uh, Plaza in 2008 when we were just putting out the um, construction barrels the orange construction barrels in an art class, you know, sat down in the paving, you know, in the first 30 minutes just to start sketching the, the buildings. You know, people are just so hungry for, for public space. And mm -hmm. we saw that in Durgano. I mean, and particularly the kids. I mean, the kids came out in droves, you know, and they were playing ping pong and they're running around and their parents are on the benches and, you know, people were doing exercise classes and, and, and boxing. And, and again, can I say ping pong? I just, I had no idea it was such a big <laughs> deal. I think it's like the local sport. Um, you know, Times Square, we had beach chairs to unlock the space's potential. But, you know, in Milan, if you really want to turn empty space into an active space, you can't miss with ping pong tables. So, and, you know, the thing that was really interesting, too, is that the local businesses hold the balls and the paddles. So people just, you know, pop in and, and check them out and return them. Isn't that cool? That was that was going to be one of my questions. Is like, yes, yeah, great to have the tables, but where do you get the ball and where do you yeah. get the ball? So, yeah, so you, you're going to actually create custom there. Yeah, exactly. And it builds, it just knits together the community in all these mm. new ways. Mm. So, you know, the program was just three piazzas in, in 2018, and it grew to 13 piazzas in, in 2019, and it grew to 18 uh, during the very tough months of 2020. Um, and, you know, you know, Milan is one of the first uh, COVID epicenters. Mm. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I think you have the report, the, the, the summation is 38 piazzas in four years, which, you know, is practically the infrastructure in an entire city. And now you've got, you know, five and a half acres of plazas, almost the size of Madison Square. And, you know, you've got to all these benches, you know, 250 benches, 310 planters, bike racks, ping pong tables, you know, and you know, now you've got 80% of residents within reach, you know, of public space and a protected cycle path. So they literally changed the map of Milan and showed mm -hmm. that, you know, cities can move faster than the status quo. And I think that's what's so exciting about Milan. And they can also move faster than national leaders, because that's what I always hear is mayors can actually have more impact on climate change than national leaders because they just they, they were able to move much quicker. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you're starting to see the kind of changes that you're that are you're seeing in Milan are happening in cities across Europe and the Americas and all around the world. And and because your mayors can make that difference difference you know you're we're used to hearing this kind of ambition from from like paris right mm -hmm. you know mayor hidalgo converted the rue de revoli 
into a car-free corridor during the height of the pandemic. And this year, you know, she announces $300 million plan to remake the Champs-Élysées into this, you know, extraordinary garden of great pedestrian spaces and reclaiming half of the city's 14,000 parking spaces. And you heard about what Mayor Khan did in, you know, central London and creating this bus and bike and people, um, people-focused zones. You know, all of these cities showed, you know, reclaiming space is more than just a local amenity. It's, it's really a global planning principle that can help save the planet. And the way streets are designed, it's, it's transportation policy, it's economic policy, it's health policy, it's equity policy, it's sustainability policy. So, you know, I think if you want to transform a city and have an impact on the world, I think one of the most effective things you can do is reclaim and reimagine your streets for people. And that's why you're seeing these mayors embrace these changes. And these changes are popular. You know, the, you know, it used to be that, oh, we can't change these, you know, the, you'd have a guaranteed job for life if you just follow the status quo, right? And the, the, the changes are also quick because of tactical urbanism. So where you can, you, you're testing stuff out with, you know, planters before you put the concrete in. Is, is, is that, the, is your modus operandi, obviously, when you were um, New York City's transport commissioner, is that something that uh, Milan did as well? They, 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 they put these things in softly first. Exactly. I mean, you can move quickly. I mean, we, we certainly saw a sea change in New York City 10 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, again, just showing what's possible. You can paint the city you want to see and paint. You know, it doesn't take years. It doesn't take millions of euros. You know, you can paint the outline of the city that you want to see. And, and doing it that way, showing the, the, the paint of the possible allows you it brings down the anxiety that people have about the change right because people think okay you're doing this permanently you know i don't like it i don't want it and yet if they think you know you're trying out we'll see if it works we'll keep it if not we'll put it back to the way that it was you know people um are comfortable with that type of change and you can't argue that like nothing should ever change right think about how much has changed in our in our society in technology economically socially, politically, and yet so many of our streets have stayed the same way. They're like Jurassic Park streets, you know, they're like trapped in amber. And so, you know, showing that uh, it's possible um, to um, make them work better um, is, you know, is certainly been a recipe for success. And I think, you know, one thing that I didn't mention is that, you know, Mayor Sala was reelected in the middle of this, you know, kind of miracle in Milan. And mm. some of the candidates ran against the changes, you know, that he made during the pandemic. Um, uh, but it, you wouldn't have known that from, you know, the 60, 56% of the support that he got in October. Mm. And, you know, and people do need to have their say, you know, but once you have city streets and public space filled with people, it's hard to make the argument that it should be any other way. You know, it's not the municipality space. It's the people space, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what you see in piazza after piazza. You know, once the temperatures dropped in these complaints, you know, they're, they're, they're actually replaced with, with voices of other people who now, who now want a piazza in their neighborhood. Well, the before and after photographs in the, the, the PDF, uh, the report, the, the, the Piazza Aperta report are very stark. They're very welcoming, and you could show that to anybody and say, well, which would you rather have, that <laughs> with the cars or that with the people and the ping pong and the paint and the nice? And it's like you you couldn't really have a, a sensible argument with anybody who said, well, I want the one with all those cars. It's so true. It's so true. You know, I was 
I visited, you know, in, uh, in May, you know, last month with some of the leading, actually some of the leading planners from Tel Aviv to show them the Milan story firsthand. And they were floored. I mean, they couldn't believe what had happened in such a short time. And they, you know, they marveled at it because they knew, you know, great urban spaces appear obvious, but, you know, they can be difficult to design and implement. And, you know, I saw when we went to Bocconi, you saw that, you know, and when I further saw that first space in 2019, you could see the problem that was written in the street. You know, it's this obsolete traffic tangle next to the school. Mm -hmm. There was already a park there, but it was out of reach and it didn't help the school kids, you know, and, you know, the people that their caregivers who pick them up and drop them off every day because the cars rule the road and they could drive everywhere and they could park anywhere and they double parked and triple parked everywhere. So, you know, redesigning it, narrowing the road and making uh, the road one way. And today it's the kids and not the cars that rule the road. And so you see the benches mm. and, and the, you know, where, where it used to be car only spaces and you see these kids doing chalk drawings or, you know, art projects and picnic tables and ping pong tables, again, ping pong tables, <laughs> you know, the, the ping pong table is even a point on Google maps. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, all you spokesman listeners, I hope you'll excuse the interruption, but this is David from the Fredcast and the Spokesman, and I want to take a few minutes out of the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Turn Bicycles, at www.turnbicycles.com. That's T-E-R-N, like the bird, bicycles.com. Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. Now, last time I told you about Turn's Quick Haul e-bike, but today I want to talk to you about a sibling to the Quick Haul, and that is the Short Haul Compact Cargo Bike. The Short Haul is a practically priced, wait till the end for the price, you're going to love it, cargo bike that's been designed to get a rider plus an extra passenger and cargo from home to work to school and everywhere in between. And I think that when you see a short haul, you'll realize that it may be unlike any cargo or city bike you've ever seen. That's because most cargo bikes are big and unwieldy. And most city bikes, while they're easy enough to handle, well, they're just, they're just not able to carry much cargo. And that, I think, is why Turn designed the short haul. The short haul is shorter than a regular city bike, making it nimble and, yeah, fun to ride. But it was also designed with an extra long wheelbase and low center of gravity. Then that gives you a stable ride, even when you're carrying heavy loads. In other words, the short haul offers the best of both worlds, packing a sturdy build and a hefty cargo capacity into a compact package that just simply rides better. With a mass, max gross vehicle weight of 140 kilos or just under 310 pounds, the short haul can easily carry an extra passenger and plenty of cargo. It's got extra long, extra strong rear rack, and that is rated to carry a hefty 50 kilos or about 110 pounds. And it can be configured to carry a child in a child seat, an older kid, a small adult, maybe even a, a dog. In addition to its rear cargo capacity, it can also carry up to 20 kilos or about 44 pounds with an optional front-mounted rack. Oh, and the short haul accepts a wide range of turn accessories, frankly, too many to mention here, so that you can carry everything from a yoga mat to fishing poles to an ice chest or, as I said before, even the family dog. And because of its size, 
you can easily maneuver in crowded or small places, including buses and trains. Plus, like the quick haul, the short haul includes turns vertical parking feature, so you can roll the bike into an elevator and park it in a corner of your apartment. Now, like I said before, safety is a core value at turn, so that's why the short haul was designed and independently tested to ensure rider safety, and that's also why they use respected independent testing labs and why every turn bike undergoes rigorous testing to ensure that every bike meets or exceeds comprehensive safety standards. Oh, and did I mention the price before? Well, get this. At a suggested retail of $1,099 or €1,249, the short haul is Turn's most affordable cargo bike yet. Bikes are scheduled to start arriving in stores in Q3 of 2022, so start getting your orders in now. And for more information about the short haul or any of Turn's wide range of bikes, just head on over to TurnBicycles.com. That's T-E-R-N Bicycles.com. We thank Turn for their sponsorship of the Spokesman Podcast, and we thank you for your support of Turn. Also, thanks for allowing this brief interruption, everyone. And now... Back to Carlton and the spokesman. Thanks, David. And we are back with my conversation with Jeanette Sadiq Khan. Now, now, Bloomberg has a program called Paint for Streets, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the Asphalt Art, the Bloomberg Asphalt Art Initiative. So, how do, does do cities apply for that? Do you? Yeah, yeah. Where do where do they where? How could somebody get that for their city? Yeah, so um, we started um, in North America and you applied, uh, we gave $25,000 grants to cities, to 25 cities. Um, you can look it up on the website. There's all the information is there and beautiful, beautiful pictures. And I can send you some others if you'd like. And now in, we're going to launch at City Lab, we're going to launch the um, European version of the Asphalt Art Initiative. And so cities will be able to apply for asphalt art grants from Bloomberg Philanthropies starting in October. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, I'll, I'll prime my city for that one. Please uh, do. Yes, yes. Apply for that, <laughs> please, Newcastle. Um, going back to Milan, it, it hasn't just got uh, these piazzas, which are wonderful. It's already, I mean, partly this is done in, in the, the coronavirus uh, crisis, but it was, I think it was before there as well, which is the Strade Aperte, so the open streets, the bike lanes. Basically, Milan is going to become this, this in effect, an Amsterdam. You know, we, 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 you know, we mentioned Paris, we mentioned New York, but Milan is is really going ahead with a really ambitious scheme. But before twenty thirty five, of like seven hundred and fifty kilometers of protected right. bike lanes. So, how much of that was coronavirus, or was coronavirus just kind of like uh, gave it a little bit of a, a fillip? You know, I think it was a, an impetus, right? I mean, I think what you saw was mayors around the world actually, you know, when cities shut down, you know, and you saw like just these empty streets everywhere, right? I mean, it, they were like ghost towns. You, Times Square, you know, which used to be, you know, crossroads of the world became the epicenter of the pandemic. It was like, mm. you know, looked like a horror movie. I mean, we, I, I saw this picture of Chicago coyotes like walking in the streets of Chicago. You know, but it also showed what the possibilities were in the streets. And so as many cities shut down, one of the first things they did was open their streets. You know, and they opened their streets for people to walk. They opened their streets for restaurants, giving them a lifeline 
you know, mm -hmm. open their streets for sidewalk cafes. It was, it was incredible to see what was possible. New pop-up bike lanes, new bus lanes. And so, but I think that Milan really kept the momentum going through the pandemic. And I think now that the worst has passed, you know, they're ready to move into the next phase and they'll be actually announcing the next phase of their uh, piazzas and strada e parites uh, this fall. So I really think if you want to see the future of cities, you can look to the streets of Milan. They've created an architecture of public space, but, but also a process. It's kind of a master class for what cities everywhere could do with the same raw materials and, and, and a little imagination. Yes, but I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of ambitious what they're doing um, and what other, many other cities are doing. But in, in your 2016 book, I'm going to plug your book here, Street <laughs> Fight, does it always have to be a fight? Because the other thing that was a, there's a, a subhead to your book was revolution. These are, these, are, these, are, these are strong words. These are fighting words. But does it have to be a fight? Well, you know. I think that in almost every case, you know, whether it's Durgano, Angelberto, Times Square, you know, Rue de Rivoli, you know, there, there are strong reactions, right? And when Milan first proposed turning parking into places for people, you know, it, there were very strong reactions. People have very strong feelings about their streets, you know. Mm -hmm. I like to say there are 8.6 million New Yorkers and there were 8.6 million traffic engineers because everybody has very strong opinions about their streets. And that's a good thing, right? We want people to feel strongly about their streets. They're their front yards. That's where life is lived. It's where the first, that's the first experience of the day, you know, but I think it's really important to have, a, you know, a community process, you know, at, to, um, as part of the programming. And so there was an involved community process in Milan on everything from the concept to the design, to the programming in the space so that each piazza uh, reflected local color. And so, you know, the whale shaped piazza outside uh, 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 Tommaso's school on um, Spoleto came straight from the imagination of the students themselves. You know, the planters mm -hmm. at, at Via Val, Lagarina were specifically requested by the locals to plant vegetables, you know, and the locals helped pick up the paintbrushes at Porto Genova. And, you know, I even put on a smock and, you know, started painting at Porto Genova and, and many mm -hmm. passersby did too. You know, we had food, food delivery workers that parked their bikes um, and, and came to help us paint. So it really took a village to, you know, bring these places to life. And so, you know, and once we saw after the painting was done, you know, the pensions, the, the benches were there and the nets were on the ping pong tables, you know, people love these places and the complaints were really replaced with, with really the kind of sounds of support from communities and, you know, community involvement is a part of it. Not everybody's going to be on board. Not everyone's going to agree that there's even a problem. And it's so important that the municipalities show leadership and, and respond not to just what you think your short term needs are, but 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 building in new possibilities so that when you open your door in 10 years, you have more transportation choices, you have safer streets and you have, you know, better cities than you do today. It's kind of like that, that very famous cartoon uh, at a climate <laughs> conference where there's somebody, you know, standing on a podium saying, you know, we're going to have all of these things that are going to uh, improve our lives. Um and here, you, it's not just climate. If you if you mitigate against climate change with th these kind of measures, not only are you mitigating against climate change, 
you're also making it just much, much nicer for people. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you invest in, you, and you, and you see the direct results, you know, it's not about talking about it or pledging about it. It's making change happen on the ground. And that's what's so powerful. One of my favorite cartoons was a New Yorker cover, which was a picture of like, I don't know if you remember this. It was like people in a gym working out on bikes and then, you know, people parking, you know, their city bikes in front of the gym. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you can build in all sorts of possibilities and choices for getting around and sitting around and enjoying and socializing. You can build that in, you know, to your city working with just the materials you have on hand, you know, the materials that any department of transportation has on hand, you can make these changes. And, you know, there's no, you know, it, it's great. The most important time to do this is now, you know, mm. and, and um, you're seeing mayors walk the walk. And I think it's really exciting to see. Should we have more transit strikes? Because here in the UK, I don't know if you've seen, but we've the whole of the country is shut down uh, for ba- the best part of this week because of a, a, a train, national train um, strike. But it, what you're seeing from from newspapers um, and the ma- mainstream media reporting this is people who would never normally get on bikes are suddenly getting on bikes and are probably realizing for the first time, it's like, that's only a 10 minute journey. Why have I done that by, you know, other methods when this is just so easy and nice? It does help that it's quite nice weather in the UK. But should we, should we somehow get people to experience these things? You know, and you can't mandate transit strikes, but somehow getting <laughs> people to physically try these. these. <laughs> yes. Look, I think I think what it shows again, it's also building in resiliency, right? That's another piece of it. Like mm-hmm. this, they, it's it's another way of getting around. We saw, you know, during the pandemic, people turn to walking and biking and uh, other modes of getting around because there there was, you know, the early fears that you know transit was a super spreader, which of course it was not, as it turned out. Um, mm-hmm. And people turned to the private automobile, but you saw a skyrocketing number of people. Cycling, and I think you're seeing that in London too. Particularly now that you've got the infrastructure in place, you know you can't wish people onto a bike if they don't feel safe riding, right? And so creating this safe infrastructure is really key. And you know, also people, you see the city in a new way, you know. And if they feel like they're in a safe lane and they see their city in a new way, you know, it's joyful. And and it's also uh, better for business. You know, when we put down protected bike lanes, the very first ones, 8th Avenue and 9th Avenue in um, New York City, retail sales along those corridors went up 49%. So, you know, you know, if you want a better city, you can start by building a bike lane. Thanks to Jeanette Sadiq Khan there. And thanks to you for listening to episode 301 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Show notes and more can be found on the-spokesmen.com. The next episode is a chat with two finishers of the All Points North Ultra Distance Cycling Race. Meanwhile, get out there 